Hey guys, it is Jeremy, the original Sasquatch Slim Rusk. And Brandy Joe, the big old flame and scream queen. Plan back. Hello. And we are here with Scaring is Sharing. It's the place where we share our scares with each other and you. You, the <laughs> listener. Y'all listeners out there, hopefully you're regular listeners. And at this point, you already know the deal, but we're telling you again. Yep, we talk about some horror stuff, then we give each other a movie that we haven't seen before, and we talk about it. And we have fun. Yeah, we have a gay old time. I probably have a gayer time than you do. Probably just a little bit more, and <laughs> more, you know, using more definitions of the word, but... But you're very comfortable with your sexuality, and I really appreciate that, Jeremy. Yeah, absolutely. As most people should be. You don't get bothered by how much boy butt I talk about. No, not at all. Because <laughs> I mean, I am a boy and I have a butt, so it's like you see it all the time. If so. you say so. There you go. I mean, you, maybe I don't. You don't know. I'd just be like a hunk of wood strapped to my, my backside or oh. false butt. Oh, when you said hunk of wood, I was getting very oh, there's, excited. Oh, there's that too. <laughs> So every week we ask you to please share your terrorograms with us by shooting us an email at scaringandsharing at gmail.com or finding us on Instagram, scaringandsharing, sliding into our DMs, which happened this week. Oh, good. We got a Instagram DM from good friend of the podcast, Tess. And I shall read it to you now. Okay. Great up this week. Hadn't seen either and also always knew the near dark VHS cover from the video rental store. Sounds like it is worth a watch, but wanted to write because I love River's Edge and I never get to talk about it with people. I agree with Jeremy. I can't believe they haven't remade it. I remember Mean Creek 2. That was good, but not as haunting. I remember reading that River's Edge was based on a real crime, and I love where true crime inspires these genre movies, like in the same vein as To Die For. Hot question. You briefly covered what a genre film is, but can y'all explain it more? I cannot recall hearing this term frequently. Will everyone agree on what makes a genre film a genre film? I knew I could Google, but I'd rather hear my fave scare pals scare explain it to me. XOXO and Point Break the Musical is amazing. We saw it at St. Andrews a few years ago. Thank you, Tess. So, Jeremy, I have Ooh. to say, ever since getting this message, because I read it yesterday, uh -huh. I couldn't stop thinking about the answer. And then I listened to a little bit of when... I specifically sort of talked about 12 hour shift being more of a genre film than a horror film. And then I was like, am I using this word all wrong? Because I think technically a genre film can refer to whatever category you're saying the genre is like there's a romantic genre. There's a Western genre. There's a musical genre. There's genres mm -hmm. for every category. But like when we talk about it, when we say it's a genre film, I think we mean it's like the horror genre yeah. and subgenre. I have always heard genre film because it's hard to describe because there are film genres. Right. But at the same time, when somebody uses the phrase genre film, 
I have always thought of it as a catch-all. Like, I think of it as related to exploitation film when you say the phrase exploitation film. Like, genre film I've seen as a catch-all for anything that you would normally consider a B-movie or B-movie content. So, like, horror, sci-fi, uh, like, uh, the more salacious, like, crime movies. Uh, I would kind of lump all of that together as, like, that's a genre film. Okay. Uh, if that makes sense. Because I've always felt... As opposed to saying film genre, that's just the category a movie falls in. But saying genre film is, I think, talking about a certain type of movie or a way a movie is made, where maybe it's a little more low budget, more B-movie-ish. Like, I feel like that's kind of what that phrase is supposed to invoke. But yeah, it's really nebulous. It's kind of hard to describe. I think it's somewhat subjective, too. Like A little it, bit. But also after Tess was like, well, I know I could Google it. Well, I Googled it. And of course, it's a very hard thing to Google. Yes. Because IMDb, every film is listed as, you know, here are the genres that this film fits in. And none of the genres are genre. So, <laughs> like, just the term genre comes up with a bajillion Brazilian things online. So, I of course, I'm going to look real quick. And I think this does help narrow it down a little bit. The Wiktionary definition mm, for the what's phrase. What's Wiktionary? It's a uh, like a Wikipedia dictionary. It's a it, it's owned by Wikipedia, ah. but it's but it's more of a dictionary. So Wiktionary says genre film is a film that was produced with the intent of fitting into a specific genre, such as science fiction, romantic comedy, horror, film noir, uh, with an existing audience. So I guess it's like a film that's easily identifiable as. This is science fiction. This is horror, you know, not more nebulous ideas of like, I don't know, like uh, take a Coen Brothers movie, for example, since we talked about them last week, like a lot of their stuff is like trans genre. It fits like a bunch of different genres. Mm -hmm. So it's like that wouldn't be a genre film because it can be a drama comedy. You know, it's genre film is like this is distinctly a horror movie. It's a science fiction movie. It's a film noir. So I think maybe that's it where it's something that is because I said that 12 hour shift like you were talking about how you'd heard the conversation prior to watching it of people saying this isn't a horror movie and i said i think it's more of a genre movie mm. which i don't know if that if i meant that in the sense of like it was made for horror audiences mm -hmm. and it sort of fits in there better than it would in like the thriller section of the video store like if you had a video store where yeah. would you put 12 hour shift oh i put it in horror See, I would too, yeah. but like there is, and that's where I think the subjective part comes in. It kind yes. of depends on where things are compartmentalized in your head. Yeah. So I think, Tess, I personally feel a little bit of what Jeremy said is true and also that it is somewhat subjective and someone could say, here's the definition, but that doesn't necessarily hold true for everybody. Sure. It could be a little bit fast and loose with mm -hmm. where something fits in. Sure. And I, some things are a little genre-defying. I know we often refer to things being horror-adjacent. Mm -hmm. That's what 12-hour shift, I would say, is. It is. is. Horror-adjacent. But, like, you could put it in horror, and you could put it in the thriller section, and it would fit in both. Or the crime section. Like, if or you were to break it down and have, totally. like, a neo-noir neo section, like, I feel like it would fit in there. But, like, since Tess got my mind turning on this, I pulled up a chart of the horror genres and subgenres, and I just want to spout them off really fast, because it's amazing how many there are, and I wonder if any other genre of film, romance, dramas, etc., have as vast of a collection of subgenres within them. The six main genres within horror 
horror are gore and disturbing, which covers torture, splatter, cannibal, and extreme subgenres. Psychological, which encompasses phobia and isolation, fanaticism, madness and paranoia, and home invasion. Killer, which encompasses slasher, crime, and giallo. Giallo. Backwoods and redneck, and home invasion. Monster, which encompasses vampire, werewolf, classic and mythological, giant monsters, aliens, small creatures, animal and nature, neo-monsters, and zombies, which has mm. a sub-subgenre of undead and virus, uh-huh. paranormal, ghosts and spirits, haunted houses, possession, devil and demon and hell, witches and occult and supernatural. And within this chart, it shows how some of them bleed into the other. Mm-hmm. And then there's from there, there's a good 10 more that I'm not going to get into. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's so many. I would think if there's anything comparable, it's probably science fiction, which I know that can also be can be broken down into like just off the top of my head. I know like, you know, you have science fiction, you have at the very top of science fiction, there's what they call science fiction fantasy and then there's hard science fiction uh i know the difference between those is science fiction fantasy is what it sounds like like star trek well star trek kind of fits into both science fiction fantasy like the greatest example is star wars where it's just you know the fantastical elements are the main thing like if you try to break down the science of how anything works it doesn't make sense it doesn't have to it's like prag it's like a fantasy world where it's like it might as well just work by magic everything like it doesn't really matter fantastical creatures all that star trek has a little more of what they call hard science fiction which means there is science in the show it's based on like real sciences about space travel and stuff where there are explanations as to like this is how this machine works and there's some scientific validity to it where it fits more in a real world where you're like, oh, okay, like that could happen. The physics they use is correct, you know, or the astrophysics they use is like real astrophysics. So like Star Wars is also what they call space opera, where it's grand stories, but set in outer space. And then you can just keep breaking stuff down because then, you know, there's time travel, which a lot of those kind of sometimes they're fantasy. Sometimes they fit into hard science fiction. I don't know, cyberpunk, what else? I mean, you could probably do androids and Frankenstein stories and like all kinds of stuff uh, in science fiction. And yeah, I mean, you get stuff like Jurassic Park, which I would say is a science fiction horror film if I were to put genres on it. So, and then they kind of bleed together because there's so much sci-fi horror (laughs) that then a lot of body horror, like a lot of Cronenberg is actually science fiction horror. So would you consider Black Mirror? What did you say? Hard science? Yeah, I would say some of it's hard science fiction because it does have a lot of that like, oh, this there's technology, you know, that given enough time, we'll probably be there with something that's happening. In yeah, the, that's pretty in much the, all Black Mirror. Yeah. It's like this is the near future. Mm-hmm. Did you ever watch the movie on Netflix, uh, Bandersnatch? I did just once. I'd like to watch it again. We did it a couple times through and got okay. like a bunch of different endings. But like, you know, that's an example of one that's like it's got some hard science fiction in there with the alternate reality, like game stuff where I'm like, I'm sure that's going to happen at some point. We'll have, you know, plug in like in Star Trek, the holodeck. Have you seen most of Black Mirror? Most of the episodes? I don't think I've seen most. I know I've watched like a couple season. No, maybe a season and a half of it. 
Oh, wow. There are some good ones in that. Yeah, I need to revisit because a lot of what I watched, I don't even remember. So I need to go back and like jump back into it. In the beginning of the pandemic, I got all excited because there were these pictures online that were like, Black Mirror, new season now. And I was like, what? And it was just a mirror. Oh, like it was like the world right now is uh -huh. a Black Mirror episode uh -huh. is I believe what it was all about. And I don't yeah. know if Black Mirror proper did it or if, you know, someone thought they were being clever and a commentary. Yeah. But um, there's some amazing episodes. I love like it because it's definitely like a Twilight Zone for a new generation is what mm -hmm. I like to refer to it as. And I love the original Twilight Zone because, you know, how can you not? That's got some of the greatest stories ever told of horror science fiction. I've only seen a suspense. Few. So there's a, there, there's some there's some goofy corny ones and then there's some that just are timeless so i love the killer doll one i think her name's tina yeah that's a and good then one. the cornfield the one with the little boy who can like make people mm -hmm. do things which yep. was part of the the movie yeah twilight zone the movie and the twilight zone the movie is so huge for me because when i was a kid my dad would always say do you want to see something scary <laughs> from that opening sequence, which it, which is just so so beautiful? Yeah, that was that's a great uh, that's a great movie that I think kind of ebbs and flows uh, in how well regarded it is. Like right now, I feel like we're at a low point. Like nobody talks about that movie, but I know in the past it's been treated as like a great cult film. So yeah, there's some good segments in there, and on cursed films on Shutter, I knew that there was a plane wreck and that some people died. Yeah, Vic Morrow. I didn't know the extent of it. And it was the most fascinating of those cursed films because most other things have been covered so much, like The Exorcist and things like that. Yeah. And I know forever to this day, of course, if you talk about John Landis online, get ready to fight with some people because a lot of people still carry the the fact that he's totally culpable for this, you know, Vic Morrow's death and those child actors and that uh, that should have ended his career. But, you know, and the footage they show is like, oh, God, like, I mean, yeah. it's frightening. It is Absolutely. just all around. It was fascinating and just rips your heart out. Absolutely. Have you watched any movies this week? Oh, my goodness. I have been on a tear of just a lot of like B movies. Like B for boobs. <laughs> <laughs> Be for bad, maybe some of them. So let me see. Let me see if I can run through the list real quick here. So I revisited. There's a flip called Terror Vision. Yep. I saw on the Insta you posted you were watching that. And I remember the VHS cover so vividly, but I've never seen it. So Terror Vision is a, I know it's a cult classic. If you go online, people are like, it's of the so bad, it's good variety. Okay. Uh, it notoriously holds a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. No. No, I like I don't think it's that bad. <laughs> <laughs> a zero? A zero. But it's wow. not uh, at least among, you know, critics, like critics sure. that have reviewed it. So uh which probably isn't that many. There's probably like six reviews on there, but still, you know, it was Empire Pictures made it who were in the eighties. They were uh they made, you know, the ghoulies, the first couple of ghoulies movies. They did From Beyond and Reanimator, like okay. a lot of B science fiction. The company went bankrupt. Oh, yeah. I think I can see the logo in my head now. Is it like an E that like comes yes. together? Yeah. Empire yep. Pictures. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, so Terror Vision, it's a, a monster comes out of the TV, like a science fiction space monster gets stuck in the satellite dish, which was new technology at the house. Uh -huh. they, they just have so much going on in it. There's an Elvira ripoff, Medusa. <laughs> There's the kid and his grandpa, and the grandpa's like a crazy militia guy. 
Uh, so he's got a bunch of guns that are, you know, handy to fight the monster. The okay. parents are like swingers and there's a whole swinger like party date thing side story. It's so weird. There's so much going on. The monster is really cool. It's like a fucked up Muppet. that's always dripping goo. That's like a tentacle monster. I mean, check it out, guys. Terror vision. <laughs> I also watched Video Dead, which is a movie I had seen I thought I'd seen before at least a couple of times in the past, but like I watched it all the way through and maybe I've never finished it before because the ending was like new to me. But Video Dead is a zombie movie straight to video from the 80s. A lot of people know it because of the that's a scene in the movie. The zombie comes out of the TV. What I think is a cool makes this one a little different among zombie movies is there's a movie within the movie called zombie blood nightmare Ooh. which the the movie's about a possessed tv that only plays that movie and the zombies can come out of the tv as like a portal to our world and that's how they get here okay i'm looking at a picture here and this is uh, looks horrible it looks like a paper mache zombie oh god it's like this was made this was truly like it's an independent movie so i give them that and they made it like a fun thing the acting is so bad it's great it's one of those movies that's got some cool scenes and ideas but they were just beyond the scope of what this movie could pull off. Okay. So you're like, this should have gotten bought. Like, why isn't Platinum Dunes? I don't think they exist anymore, but like Blumhouse, buy this, remake it, because I'm sure it would be cool. But it's another so bad it's good. If you want to see a weird zombie movie, people check this out. It's strange. And then I've watched a couple Gamera movies. Okay. You do love that. I love the Kaijus. That's the famous uh, Gamera is the the greatest of the Godzilla, like not rip off, but you know, uh, alternatives where, uh, Daie, another one of the big Toho created Godzilla. Daie is another one of the major Japanese studios. Uh, they decided they wanted to compete with Godzilla. So they created Gamera. Who's a giant fire breathing turtle. Also he can fly, which is awesome. Oh boy. <laughs> yep. He pulls all of his limbs into his shell. And then the holes are like jet engines, flames shoot out, and he like like a flying saucer into the sky. Wow. They're much sillier. Like Godzilla is silly. Gamera's even sillier, if you can it, imagine. You know it. what? I can. I can imagine it. Uh, so <laughs> the first Gamera is pretty fun. Uh it's literally just like the first Godzilla, where instead of Godzilla, it's a giant turtle. And instead of having any like sober like reflection on, you know, the atom bomb or anything like that. The camera is just straight up monster <laughs> mayhem. So does it eat people spew fire? No, he's actually like a child befriends him, which is kind of funny. Like how big are we talking here? Like Godzilla size, but he's a turtle. So he's like wider than Godzilla. Yeah. So is he like, you know he's what I mean? Round like, is, and weird. Looking. Is he as wide as Godzilla is tall? No. Okay. No, I don't think so. I'm going to have to look at pictures because it, yeah. it does not. I can't envision it in my head. Yeah. I feel like he would take up the space of like an entire city. His like width. He's about Godzilla size. But but did Godzilla ever befriend someone like this turtle befriended the child? No, not like that. The turtle, uh, it's kind of like a, I guess almost a beauty and the beast, but a small child where he's like, Gamera's just misunderstood, which he is because he turns into a hero as the series goes on and fights other monsters. So Okay. Jeremy, I'm looking at pictures of Gamera, and mm -hmm. I guess I was imagining like it's like this turtle that comes up, and it's like a turtle like you and I know a turtle. No. I didn't realize it's like a turtle stood up on his back two legs. Yeah, it's a so bipedal. it's like Godzilla with a shell on his back. Yes, 
I was imagining he comes up and like walks on all fours. Like no, a no, no, does. no. He's like a dinosaur turtle. But I see. He's just yep. like has like a shell on his back. A monster with a shell. Yes, that's it. But I, I can see the turtle resemblance. Or that mm-hmm. I can see that he is a turtle. It's just not how I was imagining it in my head. Mm-hmm. Anything else that you watched? One more. I revisited uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Going into a, more of the serious side of things. Oh boy, how was that? Pretty good, really. Um, as far as if you're into those kind of dark character study, because that's really what the movie is. Rewatching it uh, now... Because I haven't seen this. I think last time I watched it was probably like 10 years ago, something like that or more. But it I feel like it's not as bad as it rep, its reputation would have you believe. Because, you know, it carries like such a like mm-hmm. it's one of the most disturbing movies ever, you know, yeah. which it still is. But like really sitting down and watching it again and thinking about other stuff I've seen, like it's not that graphic necessarily compared to other films that have come since. I mean, it's famously, I was reading up on it a little bit. It was rated, you know, NC-17 or X or, you know, whatever they were using at the time by like the ratings board in the 80s when it came out for, what did they call it? Disturbing moral content or questionable moral content is like why they rated it. Not even the violence, Uh, because I know one of the filmmakers that worked on it was like, you know, we came out around the same time as Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which has a scene where a man rips another man's heart out of his chest and that movie is rated pg and they're like our movie doesn't even have violence that graphic in it you see a lot of the aftermath of violence but not you know straight up graphic violence like that so it's like yeah it is interesting it i think part of it too is just the way that movie is constructed where you only spend time with the serial killers terrible people and there is no like redeeming you know Bad guys aren't punished because they just keep doing what they're doing. And that's it. It's like a weird slice of life movie about these horrid serial killers. And part of it, too, is it like feels like a documentary. Like they shot it on like 12 millimeter film, um, which I know is a little unusual for like a major motion picture. Well, not major, but for a motion picture. But, you know, clearly it was an independent film. So it has a gritty, grimy feel like you're watching some kind of snuff film or something for most of it. But that film score, man. I tell you, it's like one of the greatest. It does have that opening theme song where you just have black screen and then it's like a percussive note of just like boom, boom. And then just the word Henry appears on screen or the name Henry appears on screen. And then the creepy little piano, little piano bit starts going and you're like, oh, I'm already like, this is this is going to be some shit. You know it from the start. But yeah, no, I, I still enjoyed it. But I can understand that it's not everyone's cup of tea because it is, you know, dark 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 subject matter yeah it's been a long time since i've seen it well you were busy this week you watched a lot yeah i did uh i i did this might have been the last couple of weeks like probably in between us recording our uh when we talked about the last two movies because this is was mixed in there some of these but yeah i okay. was was getting busy revisiting and in some cases like the gam the couple of gamera movies i watched those were uh first time views all the way through okay uh, which was the first Gamera and Gamera versus Barugan, which is the first sequel, uh, which let me very quickly tell you features a m- evil monster that Gamera fights uh, that looks like a cross between a lizard and a rhinoceros. It's like one of the weirder. They all look like that. He, boy, he had a, like a big horn uh, okay. and walked on all fours, which is a little unusual for a uh, 
uh, in these kaiju movies. I feel bad for the suit actor that probably had to crawl around on all fours inside the suit. But it has one of the weirdest powers ever, which is it shoots a rainbow out of its back. Oh, I love that. One of its weapons, but you don't want to be at the other end of that rainbow. Sure. It just makes explosions, not pots okay. of gold. But okay. it's like, how bizarre is that? So there you go. For, you know, uh, also with Planet Ant, Strange Cinema Saturdays, that would be my recommendation, Mike McGettigan, uh, if you're <laughs> listening, is some of the Gamera movies. Uh, I would throw those in for consideration. I know they do like a, a fan, or, uh, a viewer vote as to how the movies get picked, but some okay. of the Gameras are some weird, weird stuff. So... How about yourself? I watched a couple movies to correlate with It's Only a Podcast. They cover two movies a week. So I watched the 1945, The Picture of Dorian Gray. Which I've never seen. It was, I actually really liked it. They didn't particularly loved it. I listened to their episode after I watched the movies. They they had it as a part of their queer coding series. The only thing to queer is fear itself. I probably wouldn't have thought twice about any sort of queer coding in it had I not known it was a part of their series, aside from the fact that Oscar Wilde wrote it. like So I feel like everything he has has something in there. But had I not known Oscar Wilde or that they were covering it, I wouldn't have thought twice about probably anything in there. But I really liked it. Angela Lansbury is like super young and heartbreaking in it she has a really good part she was nominated for an oscar and i don't watch a lot of classic movies as we know and it held my attention completely so yeah i liked picture of dorian gray i thought it was good um i sort of knew the story in a general sense but not in like entirety so i found it fascinating and then the second movie was hunted which is a shutter movie i think it's a 2021 release is what it's being called And it's one of those like kidnapped, chase through the forest sort of stories that offers nothing new. It starts off real promising with some like cool shadow play lore. It's very a cool opening. And then it just sort of disintegrates into this like modern retelling of Little Red Riding Hood sort of thing. But just not great. So you weren't into it? Nope. Dorian Gray was the better movie. Yes, for sure. I know. I saw you would watch that because you're like, you're treading in my territory, which usually I like these old classics. It's but true. I've, I've never seen that one and I've always wanted to. So, yeah, I liked it. Um, and then last night I watched After Midnight, the new one, not the 90s one. I think mm-hmm. it was the 90s. Do you remember that old one with the video art? It has like a clock and like people are like coming out of the clock. Like that sounds familiar. I bet if you saw the cover, you'd, yeah. you'd be like, oh, I remember that from the video store, but I never watched it. Mm-hmm. But After Midnight is um, Bria Grant is in it, who just directed 12 Hour Shift. Oh, sure. And it was interesting. I got to say, I didn't love it. It was sort of in the genre, the subgenre mumble gore yes it was definitely in that frame so after midnight like it sort of there's like a monster on the the poster art and it sounds like this monster comes to haunt this guy like every night sort of thing while his girlfriend is missing and i gotta say i didn't love it but the end was awesome (laughs) like i was i was ready to pretty much give up and then there's two things about the end that i loved so it didn't like make it like one of my favorites sure but it definitely elevated it from where it was it's only like an hour and 23 minutes so it is quick watch short watch but it felt longer 
than it was, which okay. is never a good sign. Never a good sign. No. And for people wondering too, because mumble gore is a playoff of mumble core. Yeah. Which is a independent film movement. Um, and really quickly, Mumblecore is a subgenre of independent film characterized by naturalistic acting and dialogue, sometimes improvised, low budget film production, an emphasis on dialogue over plot, and a focus on the personal relationships of people in their 20s and 30s. So Mumblegore is just take that concept, but make it a horror movie. Yep. So like in this movie, there were there was one scene in particular with just a guy and a girl sitting in chairs talking. And it was, I think, at least 15 minutes long with just like a one single take sort of thing. I never really got big into mumble core. Like, I know there's like a couple movies that are like the I'd heard. What was there's one Baghead, I think, was one of them I with Mark trying, Duplass. Yeah, with Mark Duplass, because the Duplass brothers are like pioneers of the mumble core movement i've tried to watch like a couple it's just not the I'm creep not that... movies are considered mumble gore as well as your next which is weird but yeah blue ruin is considered to be in the genre oh okay yeah i guess i like mumble gore a little more than mumble core but uh some yeah. of them i feel like i feel like they have to be married to another style like the creep movies have the found footage thing going on which kind of makes them interesting blue ruin uh is like a crime thriller through part of it so that kind of helps too or like a neo-noir thing so and house of the devil is also considered mumble gore oh i can see that house of the devil is so so like, good i remember i loved it but i knew a lot of like, like i had friends and stuff that watched it that were also horror people and they're like i hated it because all they did was talk and for a <laughs> long time and nothing happened and there was just like yeah, and I was like, yeah, because not all horror movies have to be, you know, monsters jumping out at you all the time. But you look like Mark Duplass in Creep Two right now. <laughs> I do, don't I? My hair yeah. is getting so. You have the hair and the beard. I've promised my wife uh, that I'm going to chop everything off shortly. Okay. The hair and trim up my beard. So. <laughs> One little bit of horror news that I thought was exciting is the Golden Globe nominations came out, okay. which were not terribly exciting. But the one yeah. kind of cool thing for horror folks was La Llorona, the foreign oh. language film was nominated for best foreign foreign picture. Oh, wow. So that was kind of cool. And I know Promising Young Woman, it's talked about a lot in my gay horror group on Facebook. I think it's one of those sort of blurred lines of where it falls, but it's somewhat of like a revenge tale from my understanding. I don't think it's quite as crazy as something like Revenge or I Spit on Your Grave, but there's mm -hmm. an element of that, which I think is why some folks in who are into the horror genre have been bringing it up. I know it got nominated for quite a bit of stuff and I need to watch it. Sure. Um, so yeah, that's, that's all I got to say. I don't think, I think we've covered everything that <laughs> we sure could have. possibly have watched. So Jeremy, let's share some movies with each other. Sure. Uh, I guess I go first, right? Yeah. This week's me. You sure do. Oh my God. Give it to me. Give it to me. Good. Oh my God. I had like one movie in mind I was going to do, and now I'm questioning it and might do a different movie altogether. Oh boy. Uh, still I have like, like I said, I have a little arc charted out, uh, for, for us, but this week I shall assign you tales from the crypt presents demon Knight. Oh my God. What do you know? <laughs> I don't know much. I know that recently, I don't know if it had an anniversary or there was something because friend of the podcast, Nico A, I'm going to call him my friend Nico, mm -hmm. um, or I'm going to call him my Nico. 
Manico. Manico. Sent me a text and he's like, "Tonight's the perfect night to watch Demon Night." There was some reason and I can't remember what it is now. Huh. An anniversary or something like it premiered thirty years ago. Or I'll look oh, maybe. back. Okay, when we sure. Get into the second part, but um, I don't know much about it at all. I imagine there's a demon who used to be a knight. <laughs> yeah, for those that don't know, uh, knight is K N I G H. You know, uh, it's 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 as in an armored guy. Not, yep. not the time of day. So I imagine there's some sort of, you know, I bet there's some backstory to deal with, you know, olden times when there were castles and and knights and, and shining armor and a curse of some nature. I think that the demon knight, the titular demon knight, was put under a curse or hidden away in a bottle or a crypt and something in modern times releases his energy or ghost or he never was dead to begin with because he's a demon and he's unleashed unto a modern world or in the 90s whenever it takes place and maybe he's summoned by a person who finds an old scroll or um placard with something written upon it that they read aloud and maybe the demon offers something to this modern contemporary person like if i'm unleashed i will give you you know three wishes the sort of what's the the um monkey's the, paw yeah i was thinking of monkey's paw something sort of similar to that okay and you know what like always i'm gonna say Madness happens and evil prevails. Your favorite. <laughs> I think if we if we had like merchandise, like a t-shirt for you would have like a little cartoon of you saying evil prevails, like in a word so bubble. True. And I'm such like a happy-go-lucky person, but it's it's like what I go to. Do you know anything about the cast at all? I want to say Billy Zane's in it. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's a thing because I've always thought he was really hot. Um, and I think that's it. I'm a I'm a I'm a zaniac. Are well. you? I okay. love Billy Zane. I uh, just want to throw that out there. But it's one of those movies where you're going to watch this thing and you're going to keep saying, oh, my God, oh, my God, like of the people that are in it. Okay. Because uh, it is like a packed, like not necessarily huge stars, but like I feel like every single person in this movie is recognizable as like I've seen them in something else. Like they they should be known to um, the horror world. So cool. Well, I'm excited. Or not even the horror world to like just movie fans in general especially from like i want to say the early 90s is when yeah this was that from, sounds but I'm right not sure but yeah because i was going to watch this like two weeks ago when he i'm sent glad me that you didn't tonight and i i didn't you would have known though yep i would have known but I, th I think you'll have some fun cool i am assigning you based on last week's watch and the fact i've look at i know i give you a lot of psychological horror or like mm -hmm. killers and things like that so i'm branching off Ooh. from my norm Ooh. and also giving you uh something that's sort of a an interesting pairing from something you gave me last week oh so i'm giving you ginger snaps ah cool <laughs> i already vaguely know of i know of this movie because i know like every horror thing i've ever followed has said that this is like a great underappreciated monster flick. Uh, I know it's about werewolves. 
So uh, that much I do know, or it's a takeoff of, you know, the werewolf, whether they're actually like werewolves, I don't know, but I do know they transform into some sort of like, you know, monster beast, were beast. And I know it's about girls, <laughs> like teen girls, like it's got like a high school drama, maybe element to it coming of age. So I, I do believe if I had to guess the plot for certain, I'm not sure. I think it's like, you know, a girl coming of age in high school, kind of like Teen Wolf finds out she's also a werewolf and then has like murderous hijinks as a werewolf. Because <laughs> uh, I feel like this is kind of a horror comedy. Like, I feel like there has to be like a levity to it. Uh, so I think it'll have some dark comedy elements, but I think it's about a girl trying to learn how to be a werewolf. And maybe there's some other werewolves that are in there that either she has to fight or befriend or whatever but it's a girl trying to control her werewolfism i think that's what it is i'm shocked you haven't seen this i am too because it's like floated around forever and like this might be another one that like i actually start watching it and then i'm like oh i've seen like this scene but we'll find out kind of okay. like you know has happened with a couple of these movies you've given me where i'm like i've never seen this and then i watch it and i'm like oh i watched like half of this and then sure. uh, stopped or something but uh we'll see cool well, I hope you like it. I think she gets to ride off into the sunset. Because if I remember, there's a couple more Ginger Snaps movies. I think there's like a two at least. So I think she rides off into the sunset to werewolf another day. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll find out. Very cool. So uh, we'll see you guys in a minute. And by a minute, I mean like 10 seconds from now. All right. Sid, don't you blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. And we are back. Yeah, we are. What's up? Before we get going, I just realized I wanted to throw out there. It's a little awkward, but uh, in the timing of this. But today, as we're recording today, it is Lon Chaney Jr.'s birthday. Oh, happy birthday, so, Lon Chaney Jr. The original Wolfman's birthday today. I just How saw old that is on he? Facebook. 103? Probably. <laughs> Lon Chaney Jr. was born in the year 1906. Wow. When did he die? 73. Okay. So there you go. The original Wolfman, since we're going to be talking about werewolf movies, a werewolf movie specifically in a minute. So wanted to throw that out there. HBD LCJ. <laughs> oh, BJP. <laughs> so let's get rocking and rolling here. Yeah. Our first movie. So off the bat, this movie has like multiple names I'm discovering. You know, I I refer to it, and what I think the official name is, Tales from the Crypt Presents Demon Knight. I think that's the most, like, sensical name for this thing, because I also see it written as Tales from the Crypt colon Demon Knight, uh, and sometimes people just call it Demon Knight, but Tales from the Crypt Presents Demon Knight is what I'm going to call it. Okay. Uh, and let's go. The tagline is, ready for your dead time story? <laughs> And the description on Letterboxd is a man on the run is hunted by a demon known as the Collector. And that's it. Oh, short and sweet. Yeah, that is short and sweet. <laughs> I like that. That's literally what happens. But true. Let's get going. Take it away. I thought it was a lot of fun. It kind of felt like Evil Dead 2, but I didn't think quite as fun. Mm -hmm. Like, it just didn't have quite, like, it didn't have a hero as 
charismatic um, as Bruce Campbell slash Ash, but I, I very much enjoyed it. I loved like the color scheme in it. I thought it was super mm-hmm. fun, super like ni- mid nineties exciting. Yeah. It's very cool. Yeah. Like, it's just like they, they use a lot of darkness, but they do use a lot of color. And I think that's a great yeah. I love, balance. It's like saturated in some, not quite neon, but there's like purples and blues and reds. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really loved the color scheme and I love Jada Pinkett Smith. So mm-hmm. I like the only person I remember being in it was Billy Zane. And so I, um, and what a role. Yeah. I think this is Billy so Zane's great. best role actually. Is he problematic? I don't know why I had in my head that he was, but I, I can't think of anything. I'm not aware reason. of, okay. I don't think so. He just sort of disappeared. And I guess that's maybe why I thought that yeah, he no. was. I think his career just kind of slowed down. Okay. Yeah, He's no. so dreamy. I just find him so cute. Yeah, I follow him on Instagram. Do you? Yeah, he just does a lot of, you know, tooling around, or at least before we were all locked down, you know, he just went to Europe a lot. And I guess he's really into painting. He does his own artwork a lot. And okay. uh, and he's made a living on the fan convention circuit, or used to, because, you know, movies like this, Demon Knight. Sure. Um, and Thomas Hayden Church, what a baby. So young. Yeah, everybody in this freaking movie, it's just like, and then you got uh, CCH Pounder. Uh, as, Who's that? Uh, uh, she, she ran the motel. Oh, yeah, she's an orphan. That's how I know her. Yeah, she's, in, she's, a, she's a very accomplished, prolific stage actor. Oh, I bet. You can tell. She's so g- good. And she does a ton of voiceover work. I know her growing up because she did a lot of voice work for DC Comics' like Batman the Animated Series and the Justice okay. League cartoon. So her voice is very distinct in my head when I hear it. You got Dick Miller as Uncle Willie. Uh, and Dick Miller mm-hmm. is, uh, he bills himself professionally as that guy because people <laughs> go, it's that guy. Cause he's in like literally hundreds of movies. Uh, and you, you, you don't forget him. You see him, you might not remember his name, but you, you remember that guy, you know, as you know, as Mr. Putterman in the gremlins movies, he's in, mm, uh, yep. most of Roger Corman's a bucket of blood is like a favorite, uh, flick of his he did with Roger Corman. So, and who's the lead guy? Uh, William Sadler. Yeah, who's he? Uh, he, uh, I think this role is pretty cool for him too because he's like almost always a bad guy. Like he's typecast as a villain a lot. Uh, I'm blanking off the top of my head like what else he's from. But this was a this was a change for him to be the hero, to okay. have his 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 hero uh, still gruff, still a badass, but his hero moment instead of being you know the main adversary. And how many Tales from the Crypt movies are there? So there were three, as far as I understand it. William Sadler, he was in Shawshank Redemption. He was the guy that actually, if I remember, I think, no, 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 maybe, I think he was one of the the sisters in that. He was one of the, you know, nasty dudes in prison. And he was in the Green Mile. He was one of the uh, prison guards. Just all the Stephen King prison movies. Yep. He's death in the Bill and Ted movies. I need to see them. So you got to watch those. He's fantastic. He plays death with a Swedish accent, of course, because it's a play off of uh, Ingmar Bergman. But, but, uh, Tales from the Crypt movies. There were three, I think. Um, There's the the most famous ones. There's this one, Demon Knight was the first one. 
And then they did Tales from the Crypt Presents Bordello of Blood. Yep, I remember hearing about that. That's the one with Dennis Miller set in the uh, right. uh, uh, vampire bordello. I mean, it's the title implies. That one is fun and funny. Not as good as, I think Demon Knight's a better movie. And then there's a much lesser one. It was apparently because it was released just as a movie by itself called Ritual. Uh, hmm. And then later they tacked on Tales from the Crypt Presents, and it, but it doesn't feature the Crypt Keeper in it at all or any connections to the show. And that one was about like zombies. So there was like the old school movie because I watched that that one that Christmas segment over the holidays mm-hmm. from Tales from the Crypt, right? Yes. And was it like a comic book series as well, or then was it just an HBO series and like the so. 80s? Yeah, Tales from the Crypt is EC Comics, they were called. And it was a comic book series in the 50s, 60s, maybe, um, when horror comics was a big thing. You had uh, Tales from the Crypt, and the publisher also did The Vault of Horror. Okay. And those got killed off because there was like, much like, you know, when we were younger, when they got crazy about music and you had to put parental advisory stickers on everything, uh, there was a crusade against comic books being trash and specifically horror comics. Uh, and that publisher got, you know, they didn't survive any of the revisions, renovations to the industry. But at some point there was the British film Tales from the Crypt, which is based on the comic books. Uh, and then it kind of, and then I think there was a sequel, Vault of Horror, if I remember, to the Tales from the Crypt movie, that old one. Uh, and then it was defunct for a while. And then um, HBO uh, revived it as a television series. Uh, and they draw from the comic books a lot for the TV show. A lot of those episodes are from the old comic books. So, Did you used to watch it? Yes, I wasn't supposed to. But, you know, when I could catch it, I think I know it would play on at HBO. Well, we didn't have HBO when I was growing up, but I think at some point it ended up in syndication. And was like on USA or like one of the other cable networks. So sometimes I'd catch it late at night and be totally fucking terrified of it. I love the Crypt Keeper. Oh, yeah. I, I can just tell you do. You have his sense of humor. Oh, absolutely. He warped my brain early in. So do you remember The Hitcher? Uh, the Hitcher. Yeah. Do you remember that on USA? The theme music used to scare the shit out of me. I, yeah. Now that you say it, I don't remember like anything about it i mean i, I couldn't like comment for you but i just remember when i used to like watch it late at night and i just remember i just didn't want to go to sleep yeah the theme music was so creepy but tales from the crypt has that really bouncy danny elfman theme that you hear it and you're just like yeah this is gonna be good <laughs> yeah i don't know that i've ever watched an episode i feel like this probably would have landed a little stronger for me had i been a fan of the show and watched it like i'm definitely mm-hmm. familiar with it i could like imitate the crypt keeper's voice probably just because i've heard you do it many times yeah yes <laughs> but like i don't think i've seen a single episode there's some really good ones okay and i mean it seems like it would be fun like since it's like on hbo and like it probably mm-hmm. is a little bit racier than something like monsters or one of those yes definitely a little more sex and a little more gratuitous violence yeah so i would say watch the first couple seasons or like flip through those and find some did hbo pick up tales from the crypt after creep show had its sort of heyday was that do you know was it like in response to that i think so because it, it, it feels had. like creep show but a little bit more fun yeah, because Creepshow was a tribute to Tales from the Crypt, the comic book series. Okay. Uh, that hence the you know the motif in the movie of the comic books and stuff, but it was all original stuff that Stephen King and George Romero came up with. Okay. Um, 
but yeah, but calling back to the same kind of horror comics. What do you remember when you saw this for the first time? Did you see it in the theater? No, this, uh, this flick, um, I don't recall it. This is one of those ones that I knew it was later in life. Uh, I grew up watching Bordello of Blood <laughs> on like TV all the fucking time. That was one that like, I feel like it was actually like Comedy Central or somebody like that would play it uh, like as one of their syndicated movies a lot. So I remember catching it often in high school and being like, oh, this is Tales from the Crypt. Cool. Uh, this is really funny. But always hearing about Demon Knight. And for some reason, it was never on TV or what. I could never catch it. Uh, and I feel like Demon Knight lived in my brain for a minute as like this cult classic that people were like, it's so good and it's really underrated. And then I saw it at some point in college and we're like, yeah, this is good. I feel like it was like on Netflix or something or I got it from Netflix and finally saw it in my late teens, you know, early 20s, somewhere in there. I guess early 20s if it was Netflix and then was like, you know, this is great and have been have been a fan ever since preaching the word of Demon Knight. I just had a friend post on Facebook and say like, hey, what are some movies that are so bad that they're good? And of course, I put a gif of Troll 2. But mm -hmm. then another one of my friends, Luna, who I think might be a friend of the podcast, she commented about Demon Knight. And I guess I don't view it as something like so bad that it's good because I, I don't think this is bad. I think I this feel is like just it's good in on what it's. Yeah. Doing. Like that it's a little bit over the top and that it has a sense of humor. Yeah, that was something in the I watched the uh, this there is this great making of featurette on the uh, the I have the Scream Factory collector's edition. Disc of course of you do. Uh, it's so good. But they have this awesome making of documentary that's from more recent times, too. It's like a retrospective. So it's got, you know, Billy Zane and William Sadler. Ernest Dickerson was the director of this, by the way. And I believe he might be our first black director we've covered. Oh, good. So this is actually why I picked this movie to give to you. I'm trying to get more diverse in the voices that make these films. Ernest Dickerson, too. I think part of what makes this movie so visually appealing is before becoming a director, he was a cinematographer. Uh, and in fact, he did like the first half of like Spike Lee's career. He was on oh, wow. most of Spike Lee's early movies as the cinematographer. So uh, you can see that workman, you know, he's got that eye for the, the visual but yeah, watching the making of, they did talk about how this was a script that wasn't a tale. It was just a movie. Some guys wrote a movie called Demon Knight and shopped it around and it never got made. And eventually it landed with producers or somebody that worked with Tales from the Crypt. And they were like, what if we made this a Tales from the Crypt movie like this? I think this would be good. And they kind of infused more humor into it. But like that was the rewrites were to add some more humor. One thing they were saying was the original script was much more of a hero story. Uh, about Breaker's like hero journey. Uh, and that is not what Tales from the Crypt is about. Uh, you know, those are stories of like punishment, uh, revenge. So they had to like tone back the hero stuff, add some more horror and humor to it to give us what we wanted. So is Breaker the demon knight? He's the demon knight. Okay. Yep. He is the titular demon knight. Okay. Cause like I kept waiting. I mean, in my summary, like I thought there was gonna be like a knight, like a knight in shining armor sort of knight, like medieval, mm -hmm. but like it never dealt with that. So I felt like it just meant like, and I mean, in the, the very end, isn't Jada Pinkett Smith, the demon knight. Yeah. Like it's like sort of the torch that's passed. Yes. To keep the demons at bay. That's it. Okay. You got it. 
It's that simple. I just figured we would get to a medieval time. Like that. That's. I thought that's where, where it was going to start, but it really goes back to like biblical times. D- Jesus, literally yeah. the death of Jesus. And it's like, <laughs> oh, it's his blood. It stops the demons. Uh, and then forevermore, we have to keep adding other people's blood, you know, uh, to keep the demons away. I really particularly enjoyed how it sort of starts hot and heavy with like this car crash and and sort of like the mythology and you don't really know who Breaker is yet. Like you're, is he a bad guy? Is he a good, like who's good, who's bad? And I like that it sort of just takes off running without being like, here's all these plot details. Like we're just going to get into it like hot and heavy in the chase. And then Mm -hmm. we'll find out more as it's revealed later. Like I enjoy that as opposed to force feeding us. Like here's what, what's going on. Like I appreciate that storytelling element. Oh, it very cool. It it, it also props to everyone. I guess uh, Ernest Stigerson, the director for being able to, because being stuck in one location because his characters virtually are just in one room the whole time, you know, they're just in this motel and it can be difficult to keep tension ratcheting up when you're just stuck in one spot and have people, you know, walking around talking to each other, but he did it. He does a great job of just keeping that like energy going through this movie. And it has a brisk pace. I mean, if you take out the Crypt Keeper stuff, it's probably like an hour, 15 minutes, like yeah. hour, 15, hour, 20, which I appreciate. Like, And I actually really liked the beginning Crypt Keeper bit when he's like, you know, Gory Cooper or Robert Dedford. Mm-hmm. That, <laughs> that beginning is bit is so hilarious because it, 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 so it opens like an episode of the show. Like okay. that's what the show feels like when they show the lady, like I killed my husband and blah, blah, you know. And then the reveal that the zombie is John Loriquette. Oh uh, yeah. In a cameo where it's like, whoa, that's hilarious. But that's also <laughs> how the show was. Like the show was known for its surprise cameos of uh, stars you weren't expecting. Like there's one in like the first season where Arnold Schwarzenegger shows up. Oh wow. Just for, for like a bit part. Like, you know, they had, they got some, big big stars of the time to like just pop in and do cameos and stuff in the TV series so i mean i took away the the major theme from the movie being never break the seal i mean mm-hmm. if you went to a bar night in college you you knew that but i feel like this movie was really instilling it don't it. break the seal yep and that scene where <laughs> billy zane the sponge just pops oh, out of his mouth that's beautiful yeah uh in in the documentary uh the making up thing, Billy Zane said that his performance in this was based on Robin Williams as the genie in Aladdin. Ah, that's like awesome. That, like an said, evil genie. Yeah. He's like, that's what I saw. And he's like, in the idea that he can just pull things out of the ether and have whatever he needs at any given time. He's like, that's what I based it on. Yeah. While it felt like very, to me, it seemed like influenced by Evil Dead. It didn't feel like an Evil Dead ripoff necessarily, but it definitely like has a very similar vibe. It's funny that you say that too, because I've always seen on the internet people love to take this movie and like if you're pr- planning like a double feature, triple feature, whatever, people love to pair this with the Evil Dead movies because they just you love feel... your double features. I love them, man. I love them. <laughs> if I can get a day of just like, and I lo- I love the care that goes into putting movies together that make sense together for the full like experience or like a fuller experience. I feel like that's just a lot of fun. Here in Michigan, the the drive-ins have been a thing since the pandemic hit, even before, but like especially since the pandemic hit and they go all year round. Have you been to um the one 
out the Wyoming drive-in, I think the, it's called. The Ford Wyoming. Yeah. And they have lots of, like, they've been pairing older scary movies with some new ones, like triple features. Mm -hmm. No, I haven't I haven't made it in a minute. Um, okay. We, we went once over the summer and saw the new Bill and Ted. But uh, I, I want to go back. They haven't had any other classic. I remember there was, like, a few months back, they were running the original Nightmare on Elm Street with Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Uh, and it's like, oh, that would have been cool to see, but I Heck didn't make yeah. it out. I didn't make it out to that one. It had some good one-liners too, like get oh, sure. me all hot and squishy. There were just lots of fun ones. I love I, uh, get that pussy off the table, and then she jumps <laughs> up off the table. And she's like, I meant the cat. I meant the cat. Yeah, <laughs> that's like one of the best best jokes in there. That or the reveal to uh, Charles Fleischer, uh, who played the mailman, the uh, disgruntled. Mm -hmm. fired mailman he's the voice of roger rabbit that's what most people might know oh him wow as. uh yep and he's like a just a prolific character and voice actor um but yeah when they go in his room and find the box full of guns where you're like oh uh, yeah. there's the there's the you know going postal like commentary mm -hmm. there uh very timely yeah i mean i really didn't have much about this right in my um Mm -mm. my assumptions of the plot like i Not mean the only all. thing was i said like a curse of some nature and it kind of is that yeah and you said billy zane's in it and i said billy <laughs> zane is in it but everything else i mean yep. way off base yeah i had no idea no idea also i did want to i did learn that this is the first movie for billy zane where he went oh natural like revealed to the world that he is bald oh yeah i guess i never knew he was bald i just thought he shaved his head no, he's, you know, he's bald. Before this in roles he was in, he always wore like wigs and stuff because oh. he had been, he's been, he'd been losing his hair since he was a young man. I get that. And it was like around the time he had uh, done this movie was when like he said a friend had convinced him to finally just shave it all. <laughs> oh, he's it. just so dreamy. I think he looks great with a shaved head. And he went into apparently the production office with like, they said he sat down much like the collector in the movie had the case to put the key in. He had a, like a case of wigs okay. that he showed them like, which one do you want me to wear? And they were like, no, we want you to go. We think that the bald head is the distinct look we're looking for with this character. So in the beginning, it starts off with him like as dressed sort of like a cowboy. And then at one point he's like, oh, I'm getting rid of this disguise or this. <laughs> oh, don't motherfuckers. And he throws this. Oh, so are we supposed to imagine that they've been traveling through time? Or just that they were somewhere who knows better to be dressed like a cowboy. I guess that was Maybe. the question I had. I think it's they've been chasing each other for a minute. And my assumption is that they've been assuming like different identities and stuff and have just been chasing each other for a while through different okay. locations. Because, you know, with Breaker, they discover, you know, he he shows up with a different name and he's using like somebody else's identity or whatever. So. Okay, super fun though. That's what I took away from it. And then at the ending too, when uh, uh, the new collector shows up, mm -hmm. the guy in the black coat that I'll wait for the next bus. And then you're like, is that the man in black from the Halloween sequels? Like that's, <laughs> that's it where my brain- all comes together. Yep, that's where my brain jumped to. Or uh, <laughs> he's almost kind of like, uh, uh, what's the guy's name in uh, Jason Goes to Hell, Duke. Uh, I need to see hunter. it again. It's been a long time. It's time for me to rewatch all of those. That guy wears a big black duster, too. He's like this bounty hunter that's been hunting Jason, they introduce in that movie. Who was a okay. great character, but like, you can't introduce a new major character that late into a franchise. It just doesn't work. But no. Nope. Anyway. Oh, out of five sponges that Billy Zane has spit out, uh, how many do you give this? I give it three and a half. I mm. feel like it probably would 
grow on me with like another watch or mm -hmm. two, or if I got more familiar with Tales from the Crypt and, and that sort of thing, I think it could grow on me. Sure. But I did, it was above average. Okay. I thought, for, I was thinking you'd give it a three. So I was in the ballpark. Okay. A little more generous. Give it? I give it a four, just flat out. It's okay. Four sponges. <laughs> four Billy Zane sponges. And I just, this is one of those cult movies for me. I love it. Just every time I watch it. It's so simple and easy to just throw on and enjoy. I could see that. All right. Well, let's uh, head on over to Ginger Snapville. Ginger snaps <laughs> yeah she does boy does she snap so the letterboxed um tagline is hungry like the wolf oh you clever and it says the story of two outcast sisters ginger and bridget in the mindless suburban town of bailey downs on the night of ginger's first period she is savagely attacked by a wild creature ginger's wounds miraculously heal but something is not quite right now bridget must save her sister and save herself Mm -hmm. Not nearly as succinct as um, Demon Knight. No, give away the whole movie. Yeah. This is, okay, watching this, I want to get something off my chest first. You've here. seen it before. I've seen, no, 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 no. Oh, no, okay. I'm going in a different direction. <laughs> uh, this is totally one of those, I, I feel like in the late 90s, early 2000s, when this was made, uh, there was a push to do these movies like aimed at younger people. Like clearly the target audience is like teenagers because it's a movie about teenagers who are clearly like it the plot sets up that these kids are underage uh but then the movie's like but they fuck and we're gonna <laughs> throw a lot of you know like just for the sake of being edgy but now being a grown-ass man i'm watching this stuff and i'm like don't don't do it it's just uncomfortable <laughs> and weird you're old i'm old it's like uncomfortable and weird now that like, is so funny and i know the actors in the movie you know of course are uh, you know, like in their 20s and stuff, but they just did such a good job of making them seem so young. <laughs> Everybody seems like kids that I'm like, this is too gratuitous now. Don't that show this. hilarious. But yeah, there was like a weird kind of exploitative time. I mean, slasher movies have always done it. You didn't see like boobs or anything. But I feel like, I know, there was just something that felt kind of sleazy about it. Though. Really? Like to me. Wow, I didn't feel that. I don't know. Just for me, uh, maybe it's just the times we live in now or whatever, <laughs> more sensitive to it. But they did have a hard time getting it made just because like Columbine had happened like a few years earlier. And then there was some shooting up in Canada and it's a Canadian mm -hmm. film. Yeah. So they were having a hard time getting like the funding. It took them like years to like be able yeah. to finally get it made just because of the times. Yeah, this does have a serious Heather's vibe. Yes. And I have that written down somewhere that I... It's similar to Heather's, not nearly as good and not nearly as dark. Like mm -hmm. Heather's is like pitch black. Yeah. But it definitely, it has a little bit of that humor and a yeah. little bit of that snark. Yeah. This, uh, uh, in the beginning of this movie too, another thing that made me feel old was like, okay, the goth girls, these are our main characters. Like <laughs> these are people I would have hung out with in high school. Like this movie came out in 2000. I was in high school when this came out. So I was, you know, I was age appropriate for, uh, and I probably would have fucking loved it if I had seen it then. But yeah, like I would, I hung out with these people, these goth <laughs> chicks, like, the, and this was my kind of humor and stuff. They're just like, 
life's terrible. I just want to die. And I'm watching and feeling super old where I'm like, cheer up, little goth girls. Life is fun. Yeah, I don't feel like it ages particularly well. Like, I guess I because I think I saw it in the early 2000s and thought it was so good and mm -hmm. quickly watched part two and three. So it must have been at least after the other ones had come out already. Um, because I think they came out like 2003. Mm -hmm. So it probably 2005 or so is when I watched it and I haven't seen it since then. And I didn't like it nearly as much as I did when I saw it. This was, I, after I watched it, I went online and I saw that, well, first off, I've heard for years, like online from everything that like, Ginger Snaps is the best, most unappreciated horror movie that was ever made. Uh, and you like look at the Rotten Tomatoes and it's got like a 90% almost, you know, and I'm like, these people need to watch it again now because I don't <laughs> think it would be as acclaimed anymore. Not that it's bad. I just don't think parts of it aged very well. Like there's a few, like the very beginning felt like made for TV movie uh, for sure. And then there's some random scenes in there. Well, first off, you can tell it's from the early 2000s because it has gratuitous shaky cam. Like they're just whoo, waving the camera all over the place. Dutch angles aplenty. It's like, come on, guys. Slow, like, just put it on a steady cam <laughs> for me, please. Like running around handheld, waving it all around. And there's a lot of scenes that just feel like this feels like a very violent episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? That's hilarious. I agree. And there's one review I wanted to read that says it's from the Village Voice and the reviewer's Dennis Lim. And he says, this Canadian cheapy plays like an above average Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode <laughs> filled mm -hmm. with the sensibility of early Cronenberg. Eh, maybe that second part, not as much, but yeah, the but first it, part for it sure really does feel like a Buffy episode. Yeah. I like, like even that. like her makeup, which I mean, I appreciate the practical effects. Mm -hmm. I appreciate them. I guess the director was really anti-CGI. so Very cool, yeah. I mean, I'm all for that. So go John Fawcett with your practical effects. But like her transformation, when it's just like like her eyes and things like that, like I'm like, okay, I feel Buffy here. Sure. Sorry, cat. Get that pussy off the table. <laughs> I know. Sorry, cat. <laughs> uh yeah, it, it it was very much at certain scenes where I'm like, so this is goosebumps for big kids, like, uh, you know, a little bit hokey. Some of the actors in this, what's his name? Jesse Moss, I think it is. He's the uh, he was the bad guy in Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Oh, right. That was in this as the, you know, the one guy. He seems to only have one acting speed, which is just over the top all the time. Like it's he's very just. He just goes for it, man. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and he's like the same in every role that way, too. Like, that's how he was in Tucker and Dale as well. It was just at 11 all the time. Same with Ginger, kind of. I like her. Catherine Isabel. Yeah, she, she, she's distinct. I don't know. At times, I'm like, tone it back a little bit, I think. like <laughs> Emily Perkins, who plays Bridget, is definitely the best. Although she her, is fantastic. her wig drove me crazy. Her wig is fucking terrible. Like It's just like, I can tell that's a wig. Oh, also, if anybody else is like me and grew up watching the Red Green show, uh, their teacher in the very beginning is Ranger Gord <laughs> from the uh, Canadian PBS comedy series, Red Green Show, so... And do you remember Emily Perkins from the It miniseries? She's little Beverly. Not at all. 
I don't remember her whatsoever, but I oh, read I that online. I looked it up <laughs> and I was like, oh, I guess that was her. Don't remember. They also offered Ginger to Sarah Polly because, of course, she's Canadian and mm-hmm. does everything up there. And Natasha Leone, which I could have seen Natasha Oh, Leone I could see doing her that. doing it. But they both yeah. turned it down. It took them forever to cast it. But, like, there's all these similarities, which you may have read online. But mm-hmm. Emily Perkins and Catherine Isbell both auditioned on the same day. But the similarities don't stop there. They were born in the same hospital, attended the same preschool, elementary, and private schools, and are a part of the same agency. Holy crap! I know. But they really are very perfect for the parts. I think yeah. Emily Perkins is the standout of the two. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, even though For she sure. is the lead, but she's like, sh- she plays that awkward role so well. Yeah, they were fun. I remember liking the second one more, and it has Tatiana Maslani, who's from Orphan Black. She's the lead mm-hmm. in Orphan Black. She's so good. I've, I haven't finished the series. And John Fawcett's the creator of Orphan Black, right? Or one yes, of the I believe creators. so. Yeah. And I remember liking the second one more and Tatiana plays like this younger girl. And I just remember it taking a lot, a lot of it taking place in a house. Like, and it's very different. It isn't like a, a rehash of the first one. It is a, it's very different own thing. Mm-hmm. I know it shows Catherine Isabel's in it, but I don't remember her being in it because I'm pretty sure she dies in this one. Mm-hmm. Like it, like it seems at the end. Yeah, she's dead. No, uh, what I read about the second was it's like her ghost or something. Oh, okay. So, because yeah, I don't remember. I really do, as much as I wasn't as crazy watching this one as I used to be, like I would like to watch the second and the third one again. I remember really liking the third one as well. It's like a prequel. Like there makes mm-hmm. no sense. They're just like, back in olden times like you know like long long like almost medieval and it's the two of them and they show up to some village it's very bizarre i remember it takes place in the winter but they're all three very much different films as opposed to the same film over and over like some horror sequels are Mm -hmm. so i remember appreciating that but i'm going to go back and watch two and three see how i feel about that i have heard people say ginger snaps 2 is better than ginger snaps 1 so uh over the years so you're not alone in remembering it being good there there was a moment too are you a simpsons guy at all no familiar at all okay well there was a moment when they kill the uh the other chick from the field hockey team uh and they're getting rid of the body and they're just like carrying it outside all like, you know, clearly don't know what they're doing. But I immediately flipped to there's an episode of one of the Simpsons Halloween episodes where they spoofed. Uh, I know what you did last summer. Uh, and awesome. they kill they kill their neighbor, Ned Flanders, in the beginning. I know. Uh, yep. And Homer's like, oh, I'll, I'll get rid of the body. Don't worry. And they just cut to a scene of Homer next door, like at Ned's house, and he just kicks open the door. He's like, hi, Maude, I'm home. Oh, no, I'm having a heart attack. Doodly. And he, like, throws the body on the floor. And he's like, that takes care of that. Uh, and I was like, I was thinking that's what they were going to do. He's like, let's just throw our body over the fence. And just be like... <laughs> But no, they tried to they tried to bury it. You know, they were smart. And literally here, we were talking about Howling 2 before, but here literally her sister is a werewolf. They could have been ginger snaps. My sister is a werewolf. <laughs> I know. Like <laughs> crossover, missed opportunity. And I also felt like um Catherine Isabel kind of reminded me of Christina Ricci. Like that's a role Christina mm-hmm. Ricci would play. Oh, sure. She they would have, have a played similar that. they have a similar vibe. 
I feel like this would have been a better movie if they would have trimmed like 15, 20 minutes. Oh my God. I said the same thing. It's when it too ended. long. I was like, if this needed to lose 10 minutes so bad. It really did. A lot of it could have been. For true. some reason, there's just like moments that are pacing wise. You're like, come on, get to it already. Like, you know, she's aware. We'll pick up the pace. Yeah. In October of 2020, they announced that there was a TV series in development, but mm -hmm. nothing, no words since then. No so. words since. You know, also with The Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf, this movie deserves that title even more because the sister of Howling 2 is in the movie for like two minutes. So oh, really? Like, yeah, it's barely, barely has anything to do with the plot. So interesting. Yep. So yeah, and I, I liked their little pictures that they did. I liked that the opening credits when they showed all of their mm -hmm. Harold Amad-ish type death pictures. Yeah, that was fun. There's a, this movie tonally though is a little all over the place. Like it does it seem is. to fluctuate wildly from being like, it's supposed to be funny, right? Like a satire a little bit. Cause like, I do like the idea of a werewolf as a metaphor for puberty. Like that's totally. kind of, that's a lot of fun. Like she's growing hair in weird places and, uh, it has like uh, crazy sexual desires and, and she has and weird find her hotter and she's super aggressive now. And the werewolf in the beginning that attacks them, that was, that's just cool creature effects. And it, I thought that was a pretty cool werewolf scene of them being attacked and then it getting hit by the car. Yeah. Uh, I was like, that stands out as like, that's a lot of fun. That was cool. Uh, and I also like that they flat out, much like last episode when we talked about Near Dark, how it's a vampire movie that throws all the rules out. This threw all the werewolf rules out. And uh, what's it? the character Sam says it flat out where he's like, forget the movie stuff. And you're like, yep. <laughs> Good. yeah, that's it. That's what they're doing. He's the proxy for the audience right there. And it's interesting because she has the tail in this. And I remember in Orphan Black, there's also like it's about like clones. There's like mm -hmm. a girl who finds out she has like numerous clones. And one of them in my memory has a tail. It's like mm. when I saw that, I was like. I was thinking, is there a tail in this? No, 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 that's Orphan Black, but it's here too. And I, I love that whole tail thing. I think it's so creepy, especially when mm -hmm. she gets locked in the room and then it shows her like all after she's been trying to get out for a while and she's just like sitting there and it's just like flopping next to her, mm -hmm. like just like moving. It's so gross. Yeah. And the werewolf was pretty cool. Like at the end when she's fully in wolf form, you're like, yeah, it's all right. It's you're little, like, it's like, weird, uh, but yeah. like, okay, that's fun. I like when yeah. they take their own uh approach to the instead. yeah when it's not just like straight up like like every werewolf you've ever seen sort mm -hmm. of thing i also like the movie within a movie when she's watching that werewolf movie on tv and the uh -huh. priest has the shotgun like oh my god it's the werewolf i'm like <laughs> i want to watch that movie i guess there's some fan fiction online where sam survives the attack and becomes a werewolf himself <laughs> i didn't go looking for it i just read that such a thing existed and took it for truth it probably goes directions I don't want to read. So, you know, <laughs> like most fanfics. <laughs> so true. I don't get into that. No. And I like the towns called Bailey Downs. Like, I just think that that's fun. The Beast mm -hmm. of Bailey Downs has such a nice ring to it. Mm -hmm. It could be a band. They do but... kill too many dogs for my liking in this movie. And, like, like does everyone have a dog? Like, everyone has a dog and they have to kill the dog. And I'm like, they come have on. I to be killed. I get it. Like show me dead dogs. Die less dogs should die. I yeah, that was like part of the funding is like, can we kill less kids and kill more dogs? And I'm like, dude, kill no dogs, kill a and bunch I'll, of kids, and I'll give you a ton of money. Also, on that that soccer field, no one saw a dead dog just like like on the field. Seriously, they just trip <laughs> over it. Like oh, I came out of nowhere. Like what is that? <laughs> 
Oh, goodness gracious. Well, I know lots of people are big fans. So if you're listening and horribly disappointed that neither one of us absolutely loved it, I'm sorry. Your estimation was, I mean, you knew pretty much. It's about werewolves, teen girls, coming of age, murderous hijinks, horror comedy. You, you got it all, except Simple. for you said you thought she would ride off into the sunset. Yeah, I thought she got away and would live to wolf another day. And and she did not. She did nope. not. She, alas, so, she just she straight up died like a punk. <laughs> Out of five lichen tails, <laughs> how many do you give this? Uh, I'm going to give this a three. That's what I'm going to give it to, and that is what I thought you were going to give it. I thought I was going to give it more, but as we talked, I'm like, I don't think it deserves no, more. No, I was the same. I was thinking three and a half, but just the more I talked about it, like sometimes it raises my rating and sometimes my rating kind of dwindles. So yep. that's where I am with this one. It's just, it's just fine. I think at the time it probably felt a little more groundbreaking than it does now. That's what I think. I feel like it's a movie that uh, if I saw it when it came out in context, it would have been a lot more like, wow, cool. Uh, and now it's just, play like again i'm like i'd rather watch heathers i think that does it oh yeah i'd always rather watch heathers but yeah this is uh it's not a two movie it's better than that but yeah not the best we've covered i'll watch two and three and report back on those and tell you if if i think you should watch either one of them okay well that sounds like fun Well, not as successful as our last couple of weeks, but still, I mean, neither one of us hated these movies, so. No, we, we haven't put each other through, you know, serious pain and torture yet. Uh, it's been a while. Since I don't know that happened, I've so. ever put you through that, just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you uh, like to somewhat torture the... me from time to time, but it's been a while. Since yeah, I like to torture you. There's been some movies, you know, I guess Starry Eyes is probably the lowest I've read yeah, that's of true. anything you've given me. Yeah. I think I gave that a two, but 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 I didn't like absolutely hate the experience. So, But we like to challenge each other. We have very different I will tastes, challenge and you. And I do appreciate that. I'm going to find something terrible oh, yeah. next time and just, just put you through it. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Whatever comes out of my mouth. Then, you know, it's true. I always have like a couple happens. like in mind and then I'm like, yep. what's going to come out? This is coming out. Yeah, I load up a couple and then I just spit out something. So we'll see what happens <laughs> next time. Um, but yeah, so. Well, please hit us up. Scaring is sharing at gmail.com or follow us on Insta. Scaring is sharing. Our link tree link is there. You can follow us on Letterboxd. You can send us some feedback. To send us, you know, tell us what you thought. Hit us up. We're everywhere. We're all over. Right in. Come on. Come on now. Come on. Send us something. And you know what? Um, please listen again. And thank you for listening. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone out there, wherever you are, you know, we love you. <laughs> we really do. <laughs> we really do. Sweet screams. Uh, keep watching horror movies, you little maniacs. All yep. of you. And tell us all about it because scaring is sharing. Until next time. Good night. Scaring is sharing. 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 This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Scary.